Hello, and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Renee, and today we're going to talk about doors, walls, and obstacles. Yeah, you heard me right. We're going to not debate the value of French doors versus swinging doors, brick walls versus stone walls. No, we're actually going to talk about the doors in our lives that seem to be shut the walls that seem to be blocking our progress and heavy obstacles that seem to be insurmountable. We're going to start by taking a look at some folks in the Bible who were faced with some pretty insurmountable obstacles. We're going to start with Noah. Now, Noah, as you may know, was given the huge task to build an ark to handle God knows how many animals, as well as Noah's family of eight. God gave Noah a blueprint of sorts. We aren't exactly sure how, but we do know that God did provide the specs for this gargantuan task. We actually know this because there are some really specific details given to us in the book of Genesis. Among all the other details, the design called for what must have been a super large, heavy door. Well, why do I think it would be a heavy, large door? Think of the animals. Elephants, for example, had to fit through it. So, as if building this ark was not an incredible enough task, then of course there was this whole idea of getting all the animals and two of each. The Bible doesn't provide much information on Noah's inner dialogue when God gave him this task, but honestly, I can only imagine he must have had some serious doubts, as I'm sure people around him had some serious doubts. Has Noah lost his marbles? Who builds an ark in the desert? Did Noah have help? Maybe. We know God gave Noah 120 years to build this huge vessel, but honestly, we don't know how many helpers were assigned to the task. The Bible just says that Noah did everything as God commanded. Okay, but I don't care how many years God gave him. How could Noah possibly build this ark and collect all the animals? I actually have this funny image of Noah collecting the cats and then saying, okay, cats, stay here. He would then have to leave and get the camels and the donkeys. And when he came back, well, the cats would be gone, right? Because cats don't listen. That's why we have the expression, it's like herding cats. And I'm honestly not sure that lions or tigers would have been that much easier. But guess what? The Bible tells us that Noah didn't have to go out and get the animals. That's right. The Bible says in Genesis 7 that the animals came to Noah. Whew. Then, after all this, Noah still must have been wondering, how am I possibly going to lift that heavy ark door and close it? I, I mean, it would have been huge, not to mention the emotional burden of shutting out his neighbors and all of those who didn't listen to God. 
But guess what? Noah did not close the door. God did it. Genesis chapter 7 verse 16 says, Then the Lord shut him in. Now, notice in this story, God took care of the details. He provided Noah with just enough information that he needed the time to do the task that was right before him. God didn't provide an agenda for when the rains would start or even share with Noah how long they would last or how this was all going to end. You know, God knows our tendency to worry over details of which we have no control of. And that's often why God doesn't give us those details. He gives us what we need to know when we need to know it. Noah got done what God told him to get done. He was focused on the task at hand, and he left the details that were out of his control and the heavy lifting to God. And guess what? God did take care of the details. God brought the animals and God shut the door. Noah did not become paralyzed with fear or anxiety over those details that he had no control over. How many times in our lives do we become stuck and overwhelmed by the what ifs and the hows and the things that are out of our control when we therefore miss the opportunity to trust God with the heavy lifting? Another Bible example of trusting God with heavy lifting when there's obstacles is the story of Joseph. Now, not Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, but this is Old Testament Joseph, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Joseph's story is really, really detailed. It's told in Genesis chapter 30 through 50. It's actually the story that ends Genesis. Now, Joseph's life was filled with some really confusing twists and turns. He went from being a favored son and just a shepherd to being sold into slavery by his older brothers. And then he was later falsely accused of a crime and thrown into prison for years and seemingly forgotten and left there to rot. Joseph certainly could have become despondent and filled with self-pity. There were so many shut doors in his life, so many obstacles, so many walls. His life path went from shepherd to slave to convict to, wait for it, second in command in Egypt. Yes, that's right. Many of the events and circumstances in Joseph's life were out of his control. He didn't ask to be betrayed by his family, to be exposed to sexual temptation, and then falsely accused when he actually did the right thing. He did nothing to deserve a long imprisonment. And even when he did the right thing and helped out his fellow prisoners, he was then forgotten by the very people he helped. These events were huge roadblocks. Walls seemed to appear all around him. 
God did not share with Joseph his long-term plan for how Joseph would be rescued in any of these situations. But had Joseph not trusted God and had allowed his circumstances to overwhelm him, he never could have risen to second in command, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, and then in a position to help his very own people. Joseph trusted God in God's plan, even though there were so many moments in his life when he could not see around the walls. But Joseph left the heavy lifting to God. God was the one who figured out how to get Pharaoh to trust Joseph to the point where he would place him in an incredibly powerful position. With each setback, roadblock, obstacle, each seemingly impossible situation, Joseph didn't focus on, why me? But instead, he focused on moving ahead. His, what is next, was not filled with dread, but with faith and anticipation. Joseph, like Noah, did not know how God was going to work out the details, but He trusted that God was going to do the heavy lifting. You know, King David had a door shut in his face. Yeah, King David. When he was told by the prophet Nathan that his dream to build a temple for God, because after all, he was King David, and gosh, he lived in a beautiful castle, and God at this point was still worshipped in a tent called a tabernacle. But Nathan told him that God had other plans for David, and it did not include building God a temple. God had set aside his job for David's son Solomon, not for David. Can you imagine David's disappointment? Because He's not used to being told no. In fact, I can't imagine too many people would actually have the guts to tell the king no. But God, through the prophet Nathan, did just that. Despite what seemed to David to be a really good plan, a perfect way for him to not only worship and honor God, but also provide an incredible place for others to worship him. But God would not allow it. David had the will, the workers, the wealth, but it was not God's plan for him. And therefore, it didn't happen. God closed a door for David. Well, when a door closes, when we're denied an opportunity that we feel sure we're perfect for, when we hit roadblock after roadblock, We may question ourselves. (laughs) Was I just delusional? What's wrong with me? Why did I get passed over? Why did they get this opportunity instead of me? Why isn't God allowing me to do this? Yes, because of our sinful, and let's be honest, sometimes prideful nature, which is part of our sinful nature, We 
either tend to doubt ourselves and our self-worth, and of course that's the enemy talking, or we became indignant, angry, we feel wronged. And of course, that's our pride talking. However, with the perspective of time, God may show us that this door was never supposed to be opened by us. God closed it. He had the details, and we did not. He had the complete layout. When we're feeling like a task is too big, or the obstacles too great, or door after door being slammed in our face, that's when we need to trust God. There's a website I came across, and uh, they also do a podcast, and it's called I Work For Him. I Work, and the number four, Him. It's all about sharing your faith in the workplace, and it's so good. I found a blog, um, and it was about how God uses the events in our life to draw us closer to Him. And I thought it tied in really nicely to how God allows certain things to happen to us in our lives to make us more like him. So I'm going to share a part of this. The blog talks about the well-known Christian author, C.S. Lewis. I personally love C.S. Lewis, and I really have enjoyed all his books, but I'm going to be honest, some of them are a little heady and challenging, and often I do have to read them multiple times. So this blog writer talked about C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And here's what the blog author Jim Brackenberg said, quote, I was recently inspired to pick up Mere Christianity again when I heard that it was based on C.S. Lewis's radio appearances during World War II. Apparently, C.S. Lewis was asked by the UK government to come on air and talk to people about Christianity, to share his hope in a time that was incredibly dark for Europe. Hmm, kind of like now, maybe? For many nights, C.S. Lewis talked about how he went from being an atheist to becoming an all-out Christ follower. He had the opportunity to educate a nation in peril, about eternal hope found in truth. Now, the author continues, As a radio host myself, this story was intriguing enough to help me finish mere Christianity. In the book, there's a particular quote of C.S. Lewis that struck me. In it, he expounds upon the Bible verse of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 48, that says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The author continues. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, the command, be perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. God is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He is going to make good his word, if we let him, for we can prevent him if we choose. He will make the feeblest and filthy of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, 
pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom as love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. The author then reflects on what C.S. Lewis was saying about God's promise. He says, all the pain, suffering, adversity, difficult days and years, listen to this, they all have a purpose. He says, God is using them to make us perfect, to make us into the image of his son. Closed doors insurmountable walls, knows that we want to be yeses, yeah, all that stuff. God is using them to make us perfect. God uses everything that happens in our lives to make us more dependent on him and less dependent on ourselves and our own plans and our own will. And here's the cool part. We don't need to build an ark or a temple or be second in command in Egypt to honor and follow God. And what God requires doesn't depend on our own strengths or abilities. It's all on him. All we have to do, and this is a huge thing, all we have to do is lay our life aside, die to self, And let God take the feeblest, filthiest, sinful lot of us and turn us into that bright, shiny mirror that reflects God perfectly. Because when we let him in, we're changed forever. So, next time a door is slammed in your face or a wall is built around you or you're told, No. Look up to our Heavenly Father and thank Him. He has bigger plans for you than your wildest dreams.